A woman named Charlotte Elliott was a, was a, a, excuse me, was a talented artist. She made a living uh, painting portraits and as a, as a humor writer, she wrote funny stuff. This was clear back around the turn of the, of the 19th century in England, so around 1800 in England, and had a good little career going until at 32 years of age, she was stricken with some serious illness, a bit of a mystery in, in that uh, medical environment. Um, and according to one biographer, she was left almost a total invalid. She was a nearly helpless sufferer with only occasional periods of relief for 40 years. Um, earlier in, early in this illness, she, uh, she was, stayed isolated. She was depressed. Her career writing funny stuff was definitely over. And a pastor actually from Switzerland came to visit her father and paid Charlotte a visit while he was there. And he asked her this question. He asked her, in spite of your circumstances, are you at peace with God? And the question made her furious. She refused to answer or speak to him at all. Am I at peace with God? Look at me. After a couple days of thinking about it, before this pastor left town to go back home, she, she asked that he come back again. She visited with him. She confessed to him that she was not at peace with God. She felt that she was being punished, punished for how she had lived, for her attitude. But she hoped to be at peace with God. She said after she had been uh, punished after she had suffered longer and tried to improve as a person. She thought it, between her suffering and self-improvement, she'd get to the place where God could accept her. Fortunately, that pastor explained the gospel to her uh, and told her simply through faith in Christ, she could come to the Lord just, just the way she was. She didn't have to suffer anymore. She didn't have to improve anymore. She could come to the Lord through faith in Jesus. His goodness can stand in your place, and His suffering can be yours. Well, Charlotte Elliott did receive the grace of God by believing in Jesus. Her health didn't improve. Um, she didn't restart her career writing funny stuff, but she kept writing. And she wrote a poem that became very famous. Through her suffering, she wrote these words. You've probably heard them. She wrote, Just as I am, without one plea, except that thy blood was shed for me, and that you bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Later, another stanza reads this way. Just as I am poor, wretched, blind. And this stuff I hope to get. Sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yea, all I need in thee to find, like one day, O Lamb of God, I come. That poem became the hymn that played in the background as thousands of people have given their lives to Christ over the last 200 years. 
Billy Graham said it presented the strongest possible biblical basis for the call of Christ. Hymn historian Kenneth Osbeck wrote that just as I am has touched more hearts and influenced more people for Christ than any other song ever written. Another Christian author, author writes, the hymn is an amazing legacy for an invalid woman who suffered from depression and felt useless to God's service. That was written out of a lot of pain and deep suffering. Yet Charlotte Elliott decided she could still be used. Her pain could be used in a powerful way to glorify Christ. Well, as we continue to work our way through the book of 1 Samuel, David continues to run for his life from the wicked king Saul. The last story we read was a horrific one. King Saul ordered the execution of all of the priests from Israel's religious center. And then King Saul's handpicked executioner turned his sights on the hometown of those priests, a place called Nob. He went there and executed every man, woman, child, and animal in the whole city. And all of that horror happened because one man gave David a piece of some bread and a piece of metal. That's how passionately and fervently Saul is pursuing David and anyone who would dare to help David. It is probably a laughable understatement to say where we pick up today, David's life has gotten pretty tough. What happens when life gets tough? Where do we go in our hearts? What do we, where do we look for guidance? What should we remember when life gets tough? Well, we're going to read through this whole chapter one little chunk at a time. And what we're going to see is every little chunk of this chapter is going to have a different thing for us to remember, a different lesson to keep in mind when life gets tough. Let's start by reading the first five verses. This is 1 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 5. They read this way. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are plundering the threshing floors. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Calah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go against Calah against the ranks of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines. He led away their livestock, and he struck them with a great slaughter. Thus, or in that manner, that's the way David delivered the inhabitants of Calah. Okay, there's a lesson about what to remember when life gets tough in there, but it may not be a lesson you want to hear. Because I think the lesson, what we learn in verses 1 through 5 is this. When life gets tough, God often asks those who love him to do even 
more. Sometimes when life is really hard, really painful, God asks us to do more than just survive. Here's how we learn this. David's on the run at this point. David's family have become refugees that had to seek asylum in a foreign country. But God told David, this was in last week's passage, God told David to go back into Judah, and he has done that. Once there, though, he receives word that the Philistines are attacking a Jewish city called Calah, and they're, they're raiding the threshing floors. They're stealing their grain, their livelihood, their food. So David asks God, hey, I'm kind of a military guy. I now have this ragtag group of soldiers Should I go do something about this, God? God says, yes, you should. Go attack the Philistines. Save the people of Calah. Now, David's men don't agree with David's assessment of God's will here. Did you notice that? Here's what David's men say in verse 3. Sir, what business do we have trying to help someone else survive when we're pretty busy trying to make sure we survive? Don't we have enough problems here at home with the Israeli army and Saul? What business do we have attacking a foreign enemy? So David's like, I don't know, I'll go ask again, I guess. And he asks God again. God gives him the same answer. Go do it. David is a fantastic example for us when our lives get tough. I don't mean when our lives get tough, we should start attacking foreign enemies. Not the part I'm talking about. David had plenty to worry about. His life was plenty bad. You know, pain makes us self-focus. You know that? Just naturally. It's the most natural thing in the world. If I, if I stepping off the stage here today, if I break my leg, forgive me if I don't shake your hand on my way to the emergency room. Right? I can't think about Anything but my broken leg. Pain, emotional pain, makes us do this. It makes us be inward focused. But David, even though he's being hunted and his family's gone and the life couldn't be worse, he somehow is able to still see outside of his pain to understand someone else might be hurting too. And I can still be of service to someone else. God might have something else for me to do even though Life is bad for me. Sometimes, sometimes the best way to get out of that sort of self-focus that can turn into self-pity, sometimes the best way even to make ourselves feel better is to get up and go do something for someone else. And Sometimes the light of Christ shines even brighter when someone who, whose life is understandably rough and painful is willing to do that. That's our first lesson. When life gets tough, God often asks those who have it really tough to not quit. 
to do even more for others in his name. We've got to move on. I want to pause quickly at verse 6. It doesn't teach a lesson. This is like a parenthesis in this paragraph. It just lets us know something important. It says, Now it came about when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. That massacre I mentioned during the introduction at the place called Nob, one survivor survived at Nob, this man named Abiathar, and he's a priest. That he had an ephod just lets us know something important. Priests in Israel, the law said, uh, part of their get-up, part of their outfit, was something called an ephod, like a breastplate. It had a pouch in it, and there were some special stones in there called the Urim and the Thummim. And that was the one God-ordained method of inquiring of the Lord, asking God stuff. God gave Israel one way to inquire of the Lord and have it be like uh, sort of legal according to the law. So this lets us know what we just read and what we're about to read. When David acquired of the Lord, he did it in the way God said it was okay to do it. Does that make sense? So now moving on back to our lessons. Uh, Let's read verses 7 through 14. When it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, Saul said, God has delivered David into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him, so he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. Verse 11, David asked God, will the men of Calah surrender me into Saul's hand? Will Saul come down just as I have heard? O Lord, God of Israel, I I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said to David, Saul will come down. And David said, will the men of Calah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they're going to surrender you, buddy. Verse 13, and David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Calah, and they went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Calah, he gave up the pursuit. David stayed in the wilderness and the strongholds and remained in the hill country, even in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver David into Saul's hand. Okay, I'm sure we have all experienced times life is tough, and we get to the point where we don't even know what to do next. Anybody ever been there? Like, if I knew what to do, I'd do it. Saul and David each find themselves in a spot like that today. And they teach us here, our second lesson from this chunk, when life gets tough, we need the right information. When life gets tough, we need the right information. We'll look at Saul first. Saul is a guy, well, let's see if we can just gather where Saul gets his information to operate from. So Saul's told that David has shut himself in that walled city of Keilah. Look at what Saul says. Ah, God 
has delivered David into my hand. David has boxed himself in. Obviously, that means God is going to let is letting me kill David. Is that true? So apparently, Saul is getting bad information or information from a bad source. We're told clearly at the end of this section what we already know. God is not delivering David into Saul's hand. So why does Saul think God is? Where does Saul get his information? Saul has fallen into the easiest trap in the world, and that's this. Saul just depends on his circumstances and his feelings to give him his information to operate by. Here's what Saul does. Something good happens, something that seems like it would feel good to Saul, it would be good to Saul, presents itself, and then Saul concludes, well, that must mean God is, wants me to pursue this. That's a dangerous way to live life right there, kids. The opposite of that is this. Things are going terrible for me right now. That must mean God hates me. God's angry with me. God's punishing me. We cannot let our circumstances set our theological information. Because the light of, on one hand, the light of Christ shines brightest when things are darkest, right? Sometimes when things are the worst, like we just studied in lesson one. Sometimes when things are tough, God wants us to do even more. Sometimes when things are tough, that's our best opportunity to do what we most need to do, which is glorify the Lord with our lives. So sometimes when things are bad, that's actually good for our ultimate goal. And on the other hand, sometimes when we start to get those things we have our hearts set on, we get that opportunity. That certain special someone starts to pay attention to me. We get uh, that financial windfall. We get what if sometimes when we get what we've had our hearts set on for so long and we think like Saul, well, this means God is really blessing me now. Sometimes that's not our greatest blessing. Sometimes that's our greatest temptation and trial Sometimes what we're actually getting is the stuff we tend to replace God with in our hearts. Our circumstances can't tell us the theological information we need. Sometimes when we get that stuff we have our hearts set on, even if we were, sometimes we're not as much thanking God for that stuff as we are replacing God with that stuff. But Saul, he just gets his information from his circumstances and from his feelings, how his circumstances make him feel. How about David? David always just wants to hear from God. Even when it seems like it's obvious what he should do. When we, when we read that Saul uh, calls all the people to war, that just means he, he activates the army reserves, right? He activates a massive force. 
And so at the end of this, when he calls off the pursuit, it just means he lets most of the reserves go back home. So here's David entrapped in a walled city. The largest army Saul can uh, conjure up is coming to besiege that city. Most natural thing in the world would be, I think it's time for me to get out of here. David says, I want the right information. If God tells me to stand here and fight, if this is the beginning of how he's going to make me king, maybe the people of Kayla, they are going to rise up. I don't know. I just want God. I just want to know what's going to glorify God best. If he wants me to stay in this impossible situation and fight, I'll do it. So he asks, hey God, should I run or should I stand and fight? And God says, you better get out of there and don't ask questions. He asks, God, what will these men of Kayla do? Like, I just saved them. Surely they're going to be on my side. God says, oh no, they're not. If you're still here when Saul gets here, they're going to turn you over to the king. Does that sound awful? Does that sound like a terrible thing to do? These, these people of Kayla, they were just getting their livelihood stolen by the Philistines. David saved. The, the anointed king just saved these people. And as soon as he does, they go right back to just thinking about what's best for them. And they don't care if, it may, if they have to kill David. They don't care. They just want... Now, thank good. That's terrible, isn't it? Thank goodness. Thank goodness. You and I would never act like that. Thank goodness. We would never be super thankful that an anointed king saved us, but yet go right back to just pursuing our best interests without. We should move on before it gets uncomfortable. That's our second lesson. When life gets tough, we need the right information. Now, we're different from David in where we get information. David had an ephod. He got to ask God specific questions. How many of you would like that sometimes? Right? God, I'm asking you a question. I'm going to stare at my phone. Text me. Right? Right? Now, we don't have an ephod. You don't get to use the magic eight ball. Okay? But... We have way more information than David ever had. We do. We may not have as specific of information as we would want, but we have way more information about what we really need than David had. David had the law, maybe the book of Joshua, maybe the book of Job. That's it. If what we really need, ultimately when we look back on our earthly lives and we know what I really needed was to glorify God, we have way more than David had. When life gets tough, we need the right information. And this is where we get it. We don't just believe that the scripture is inspired, but we do believe that. Infallible, like it's perfect. We also believe it's sufficient which means we don't need extra revelation from God. We don't need new messages. What we need is to do this, come what may. Now, this also tells you to get wise counsel sometimes. Um, so that's good. And wise counsel is not your yacht to friends. You know who your yacht to friends are, right? You know what you ought to do. 
boy, you know what you ought to do? I would never let him talk to me like that, right? You know who to go to that they're just going to kind of be on your side and be angry at the same people and stuff. No, no, that's not wise counsel. Wise counsel are people who know about this and want, have a desire to see God's best done in your life, right? That's why it's so important to be ingesting a steady diet of this, building up the library of God's word in our heart because we don't know when life's going to get tough or how it's going to get tough. But the more of this we have hidden away in our hearts, the better chance we have of being able to do lesson one, right? Not quit, not give up, still be used of him because when life gets tough, we need the right information. Let's move on, verses 15 through 18. Now, David became aware, this is after he has run away. David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, old friend alert, and Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. Thus, Jonathan said to David, do not be afraid because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. And so the two of them made or renewed their covenant before the Lord. And David stayed at Horish, and Jonathan went home. From that little section, we learn this. When life gets tough, encouragement is important. When life gets tough, encouragement is important. So David and his men hightail it out of Kayla. They just stay out hiding in caves in the wilderness, whatever. And then here comes David's best friend, Jonathan. He somehow finds David. And Jonathan comes out to see David just for, with one purpose in mind, just to encourage his friend. Now, was this a risky thing for Jonathan to do? It was, what would Saul, how would Saul react if he learned that his son Jonathan went out to do anything positive for David? It wouldn't be great, right? He's risking his life to go out there just to encourage David. In some ways, it seems like the risk is not worth the reward. It's not like we would... We might think this was more worth it if he had like Saul's secret battle plans that he could go out and share with David, like the plans for the Death Star or something like that, or some weapon that could help him defeat Saul. No, he just goes out there to encourage his friend. You know what we learned from that? Encouragement's important. It's worth a risk. And look... Look at what he uses to encourage David with. How does he encourage David? Does, does he go out there again just to talk about how terrible Saul is? You're way better than that low life. No. Does he, does he go out there with some, some very unique teaching that maybe David hasn't heard before? Uh, because David will really be impressed with uh, this angle that he has on the scriptures. Because, you know, really he's going out there, I want David to be encouraged, but I really want him to know how smart I am. 
Is that how he encouraged? No, all he does is go out there and encourage David with stuff David already knows that God has said about David. He just goes out and meets his friend. I'm sure he gives him a hug and he says, hey, don't be afraid for the hand of my father Saul is not going to get you. How do we know? Because God has promised you are going to be king, David. Don't ever forget that. Next he says, I will be next to you. He might be wrong there. (laughs) Unless he's saying, I am with you. I'll be by your side, come what may. But regardless, no matter what happens, he tells his buddy, if everyone else leaves you, I'm not going to. And then he says this, even my dad in his heart knows this is true, David. You want to know why my dad is so mad? Because he's not actually fighting against you. He's fighting against the one who's promised to make you king. And it's not going to work. Encouragement is important. I'll bet you David needed that encouragement about then. You know, both of these things can be true in this story. David is absolutely going to survive no matter what, because God promised unconditionally he's going to be king. God has to keep that promise. He is going to survive, whether Jonathan goes out there or not. That's true. But this can also be true. David could have really needed some encouragement. Both those things can be true. Let's look at this from Jonathan's point of view. Did Jonathan have enough to worry about in his life? Yes. Did Jonathan need this kind of risk? No. But Jonathan, like David, it's like he's read the first two lessons. He knows when life gets tough, sometimes God asks those that love him to do even more. And he knows the right information. And he's got a friend that needs to hear it again. So it's worth the risk. When's the last time you took a risk When's the last time you took a break from the problems that consume you to try and go encourage someone else in the problems that are encouraging him or her? When life is tough, encouragement is important. But if we wait to be an encourager until I'm not busy and until I don't have any problems, And again, if someone comes and sits down with you to, just to be an encouragement to you and you know what they're going through is tough, that might mean even more. When life gets hard, encouragement is important. So we need to be encouragers. Let's move on. Verse 19. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is not David hiding with us? Or you can say that David is hiding with us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hachilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon. Now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to do, and our part shall be to surrender David into the king's hand. Saul said, May you be blessed of the Lord. Because you have compassion on me. Go now, 
Make more sure, investigate and see his place where his haunt is and who has seen him there. For I am told that David is very cunning. So look and learn about the hiding places where he hides himself and then return to me with certainty and I'll go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among the thousands in Judah. Okay, that encouragement that David just got from Jonathan is going to be really important because the next thing David learns and that we learn in that section is when life gets tough, it can always get worse. When life is tough, it can always get worse. Here's what happened in that story. David gets betrayed by family. The Ziphites, we miss this because we're not ancient Israelites. The Ziphites are descendants of Caleb They're Jews. They're from the tribe of Judah. They're David's family. And what they do in that passage is not merely like when push comes to shove and, oh man, I either have to be an enemy of Saul or an enemy of David. Ah, We we can't help it. We got to give David up. No, no, no. They go out of their way to super enthusiastically betray David to King Saul. They go find Saul. What are you doing, Saul? You ought to be over here with us. We know where this guy is. We can't wait to give you our fellow Jew. Betrayal is a tough one. Betrayal by family members is so hard. And so David learns, man, when life gets tough, it can always get worse. Well, that's not a very, very encouraging lesson to learn. (laughs) Why should we keep that in mind? Here's why. Because we're really good at convincing ourselves that it can't. (laughs) My problems are so big. This is undoable. Nobody understands. I couldn't possibly go on, right? One thing that helps with that is like, hey, it can always get worse. (laughs) And how might I glorify the Lord if it does? Instead of how could anybody possibly have it worse than me? When life gets tough, it can always get worse. And let's finish the passage. Beginning in verse 24. Then they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon. Uh, in the Arabah in the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, uh, they told David, and he came down to the rock and stayed at the wilderness of Maon. So David's being set up by his family there, okay? And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side of the same mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, hurry and come home, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land, on Benjamin. So Saul stopped pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore they called that place the Rock of Escape. David went up from there and stayed in the stronghold of En Gedi. You know what we learned from that last section? That's true. When things are bad, it can always get worse. But even if it does, when life is tough, God's providence is our ultimate security. When life gets tough, God's providence is our ultimate security. Here's how we see this. I tried to sort of act this out as I read it. 
David gets betrayed by his family. They pretend to be friendly to David. They, turn, they, they, they betray his location to Saul. And Saul is going to surround David and his men. He divides his force. They go around both sides of this mountain. And they're going to enclose that circle with David in the middle. And David is trying to get organized and get out of there, out the last road before they close the circle. And it reads like the circle is going to be closed. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, This messenger shows up to tell Saul, hey, king, I don't know what you got going on out here, but the Philistines are killing us back home. And Saul just drops everything and runs back to Benjamin and David gets away. That's the providence of God. Like we've come full circle in this passage. The beginning of this circle, God uses David to save some Jews from the Philistines. Now God uses the Philistines to save David from King Saul. And God organized and ordained uh, the Philistine attack on Benjamin to happen just in time for that messenger to reach Saul before David is entrapped and killed. Now for us, the providence of God doesn't guarantee we will always get away. We might be captured. We might be hurt. We might get sick. We might be imprisoned. We might whatever. But ultimately, nothing can touch us that is outside of God's providence that he won't save us from. We don't have, we don't have the promise that we're going to be the next king. We do have the promise we're going to reign with the, next, with the good king, which is even better. If life isn't tough for you as you walk in and sit down right here this morning, let's be honest, we're probably on the clock, (laughs) right? If it's not tough for you now, it's coming. What do we keep in mind? How do we set our faces and our hearts against either what we are walking through or what we will? When life is tough, first, God may still ask you to do more. Resist the temptation to just self-focus. Pain makes us self-focus. I, please do not hear me saying that when life is tough, you need to convince yourself your life isn't tough. That's not true. The Bible wouldn't call it suffering if it wasn't suffering, right? But even in our suffering, God might ask us to do things for others to his glory. Those can be powerful things. When life gets tough, second, you need the right information. Be constantly before and during. Don't wait for your life to get tough and then treat this thing like the magic eight ball and do this thing. Eh, Stop. Okay, something on this page is going to tell me what to do. That's not what this is for. Constant diet of this and seek counsel from people who do this. When life is tough, I need the right information, not my yacht two friends, right? Do you know what keeps us away from prayer, from church, from his word when life is tough? You know what it is? Somewhere in our hearts, we know what God will say and we don't want to hear it. But when life is tough, especially 
You need the right information. The information you need to hear, even though it might not feel like it's what you want to hear. Third, when life is tough, encouragement is important. We've got a a room full, a town full, and a world full of hurting people who need encouragement. Don't wait till you're not busy and don't have problems and can afford it. Be an encourager. Remember when life is tough, it can always get worse. Other people have had it worse. God has seen them through. And keep this always in the front of your mind and it's the bedrock of your heart when life is tough. God's providence is going to come through. He will keep every promise. And one day I'll live and I will reign for him if I have placed my faith in Christ and I am his. I don't want life to be tough for you or for me. But when it is, those things will be a help, maybe not for our circumstances, but for our ability to glorify the Lord through them. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for the testimony and life of David and Jonathan as we see those shining examples of how to behave when life is tough. Uh, We want to be like that. God, it's hard. Help us to see out of our pain, to see how we can serve others. Help us to be encouragers. Um, And God, when there are those times where we can't do anything but just lay down and cry, comfort us, encourage us with the understanding that nothing can touch us that is outside of your perfect providence and that you will save in the right way at the right time whether you save the day or just save our eternity. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand and we will finish.